Well, week three of the story, and if you're just joining us, it's okay. You're not behind. We're going to be going through the whole story of God this year. And uh, if, you, if you're just joining us as a guest, or maybe you've been gone for a couple of weeks, or your job prevents you from being here every Sunday, you can watch online, you can watch live. And uh, what's so exciting is uh, in just a few weeks, we're going to start uh, doing our Sunday service uh, at the Dieball Correctional Center. In fact, uh, it's going to be our prison campus. So pumped about that. In fact, uh, Alvin was just telling me, Alvin's our, our campus uh, pastor over the prison ministry, and he was saying that uh, 40 guys over there uh, were participating and helping. We have provided, we're providing carpet and paint and sound equipment, and they've already had some stuff, but we are making that room the nicest room on the prison uh, to hear the message of Jesus, and so we're really excited uh, about what's going to be happening there, and uh, can't wait to celebrate all of that, and, and and uh, see what God does through those 500-plus inmates there at the Dieball Correctional Center. Uh, we're also, tomorrow, I'm meeting with uh, our, our attorney and going over the lease agreement for our Nacogdoches campus. And we're getting so close to actually, like, I mean, I was going to say pop the champagne, but that's not what we do, but, but we're just, we're just, we're, we're, I was going to say break, you know, christen the deal, but, but so many cool things are happening, and uh, we're just going to celebrate all that as God continues to unfold his plan for Timber Creek Church. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, this next Sunday at 5 p.m., we have a, like a 55-minute celebration. It's, it's our annual business meeting, but it's really more of a celebration of what God has done, what he's doing. I'm going to be sharing some vision, and it's just a 55-minute little meeting that meets right here in the worship center. Uh, come and check that out, and, and uh, we'd love for you to join us there and kind of hear about what's happening and what's going to be happening in, in the future. In the meantime, I'm so glad to be back from India. I, in more ways than one, I took one for the team, everybody. I took one for the team. We weren't there six hours, and, like, I did not know your body could do what my body did as far as getting sick. In India, and I took one for the team, and bless the Lord, I'm not going to go into too many details uh, here. If I keep talking about it, I'll just tell you everything, and, and I, you know, you don't want to kick me off the platform. And, uh, but, but, but we were there talking about seeing, investigating one of our initiatives uh, for modern day. Uh, deliverance. Next week we're going to be reading, in fact this week we're reading chapter 4 of the story and it's all about Moses and the deliverance of the Israelites out of the bondage of Egypt and modern day deliverance when it comes to sex trafficking, uh, legitimate human trafficking, not only here but globally and uh, we're going to be unpacking all of that trip and what you and I are doing and what our church is doing together as we go all in, what we're able to do to see uh, the cycle of that kind of bondage broken. You're not going to want uh, to miss next week. But today, we're in chapter 3, and it's all about Joseph, who takes this journey from being a slave to like the second in command in Egypt. And so to jump right in, I'd love you to take your worship guide and the blanks that are in there, and I, I, I feel like when you take notes, you're able to process more of the message. Otherwise, Monday comes, and you're busy and everything, and you, you, you just forget it. You don't, you don't maintain it. You don't attain it in your mind. And so taking notes helps us keep it, keep it real, and we want to make it as applicable to you. And I believe that what we're going to talk about today isn't just what happened thousands of years ago in the, in, in the, uh, the, the na nation of Egypt, but is applicable for 2018. So let's kick it off by asking this or talking about three great laws of life. Huge laws of life. The first one, things don't always go as planned. It's like a law. 
It's a law. Things don't always go as planned. The way you thought it was going to look, it didn't look that way. What you expected, your expectations uh, had to be bent a little bit. Uh, Things don't always go as planned. Secondly, the other great law of life is many circumstances are simply uncontrollable. The business goes bankrupt. The marriage suffers a meltdown. Employees get fired. Students get passed up for the scholarship they were hoping to get. Friends move away. Issues happen. You don't choose your parents. You don't choose where you're born. You don't choose your sex. There's just circumstances that are out of your control. Here's the problem with this. Here's the problem with circumstances that are out of your control. You and I are addicted to control. We are addicted to having the last word. We're addicted to controlling our circumstances. If we can't control it, we're going to be in trouble. And we're just addicted to this. And so when circumstances get out of control, many people spend so much energy spinning the wheels, running the hamster wheel on trying to control things that they'll never design to or never will be able to control. But the third great law of life is is also this, we determine how we respond when life seems out of control. We determine, oh, you know, I've heard it say, you know, I just, I blow up. That's just the way I am. I just yell. That's just, the, that's just who I am. You just better get off the tracks when the train's coming through, baby, because I'm going to tell you how it is. My dad told me how it was. My granddad told me how it was. And I'm going to... And when we don't determine how we respond when life seems out of control, or we usurp the authority to someone else and say, well, they just made me so angry. Like as a kid, I used to say, the devil made me do it. Jeremy, you got into our closet. You unwrapped these gifts. These were for presents for under the tree. The devil made me do it. Or or, my wife just made me so upset. Or or, or my boss just... You just... How we respond to crazy circumstances in life are completely up to us, especially when things seem out of control. We determine the response. Now, Joseph, I believe there's probably not a greater character in all of the Bible that shows us how to deal with uncontrollable circumstances, that shows us how to navigate stuff when the thing blows up. When stuff doesn't go the way you had intended. And, and this whole story of Joseph, chapter 3 of the story, and by the way, uh, the story isn't a replacement for your Bible. It's not the Bible. It, it's, it's 80% of the Bible, and you read it, you'll have 80% of it, but it's not a replacement for your Bible. But we want to help every one of you that if you've never really stuck with reading the Bible, this is an easy way to do it this year. And in this chapter that we read last week, chapter 3 of Joseph, uh, there is seduction. There is plot. There is sibling rivalry. There is revenge. There is lust. There is false accusation. There is murder. There, I mean, it has, it's all, it's like... It's an incredible Academy Award winning movie, and we see these uncontrollable circumstances happen in Joseph's life. In fact, these are very much alive today in you and in me. Here's here's one of them. He, Joseph, was familiar with family dysfunction. Now, how many of you uh, have a dysfunctional family? (laughs) You all need to raise your hands. Because here's, if you say, oh, I don't have, I don't, we don't have dysfunction in our family. That's the dysfunction, that you don't see it. 
You're blind to it. I mean, you put the fun in dysfunction, baby. We all got some dysfunctional family. Look to the person next to you and say, I'm dysfunctional. (laughs) And then say, but not as much as you are. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Joseph was familiar with family dysfunction. Listen, one dad who married two women, there's 13 kids from four moms. Desperate housewives of Israel, right? Like, it is a reality show in the making. Crazy, crazy stuff. And Joseph is one of the 12 boys. There was one daughter named Dinah. Joseph is not the firstborn, and he's not the youngest. And yet Joseph gets the most preferential treatment of the whole crew. He gets like, he gets to ride up front when he doesn't weigh enough to ride up front. He gets the special gifts at Christmas. He gets the the doting over from his dad. Why why does Joseph get such great attention than the other 12? Well, it's, it's hard to unpack all of it, but let me just give you the cliff notes that Jacob, when he saw Rachel for the first time, I mean, it was love at first sight. Rachel was not the oldest daughter, and the oldest daughter was supposed to be given away first in marriage, and Leah was the oldest daughter, and and yet, and 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 his father-in-law did a did a, a a surprise on him that on his wedding night he swapped. It was a wife swap, and he gave him the the woman that he didn't want, and he kept Rachel. And and so when he woke up in the tent after the honeymoon night and consummated the marriage, the, the kerosene lamps were obviously very dim. <laughs> Wakes up to say, "Hey, I'm gonna go." We go get some Starbucks for us, because <laughs> it wasn't Rachel; it was Leah. And 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 the truth be told, like he was tricked. He was he he was tr- tricked into this deal. So the father-in-law says, "Well, I'll give you her too, but but you know you're just going to have to work it out." So so here we have two wives right off the bat, and one of them knows that they're not loved like the other one. But here here's the problem with the one that Jacob loved: she she wasn't able to conceive. So, so the one he was just given, Leah, she, she's able to, to get pregnant like that. And she has four chi- children right in a row. And Rachel is not able to get pregnant, so she uses a maidservant. And, and they have more children through her maidservant. And then Leah stops having kids, so she gives the maidservant too. And it's this crazy competition between the two wives. And Jacob's just in the middle of it having the time of his life, apparently. But why is Joseph so important? Because Rachel, who, who was loved but was never able to conceive, and after the maidservant and all this, the 11th child, Rachel gets pregnant. And so her firstborn is Joseph. And that's the significance of Joseph. And I mean, when Christmas comes, all the other boys, they get a bouncy ball, and Joseph gets an iPad. <laughs> and it wasn't exactly like that. It was like socks and a coat of many colors. Not everybody had the coat of many colors. You would think the firstborn or the youngest. I mean, how many of you grew up the favorite was the youngest? Oh, yeah, I know. See, none of you youngest even raise your hand, but you don't even understand. You don't even know. I wasn't the favorite. I drove around an 87 minivan, Ford, a 1982 Ford Aerostar minivan that died every time I turned left. It died. I had to throw it in neutral, turn it back on, put it back in a drive. My parents were the epitome of safety in our house. The youngest, she gets like this 
two-door Toyota sports car. Give me a break. <laughs> but, you know, maybe your family dysfunction goes beyond sibling rivalry, and there's just there's tension in the home. It's a broken home. Maybe it's, a, it's, the, it's your mom. It's your dad. There's been no divorce, but it's tough. And there's high expectation. J- Joseph knows circumstances that were out of his control when it comes to family. And I wonder how many of you are here today and you feel like your dreams have been derailed because of some family dysfunction. You feel like you're dealing with some guilt and some shame and insecurities and you, you feel like it wasn't supposed to happen like this. It wasn't supposed to turn out like this. And Joseph, Joseph can relate to you. Family dysfunction hits all of us in different ways. But how did Joseph respond? That's what we're going to uncover today. He was faithful, even he was familiar, even with the family dysfunction. Genesis 37 says, his brothers hated him so much, they wouldn't speak to him in a friendly manner. Hey, guys, what what are you having for lunch? Cold shoulder, don't talk to him. Go sit in the corner. He's eating lunch by himself in the family cafeteria. When you got that many kids, you have to have a cafeteria, not a dining room. They get so upset with him. I mean, because here's the deal. Joseph also was kind of an idiot in some things. Like he had these dreams as a young boy, and, and, and it was very obvious his dreams had to do with his family. And, and he kind of just walks into the field. Everybody else is working. He's, he's kind of, you know, doing his whole coat of many colors thing, doing a human video in the middle of the field. And he goes up to the boys and says, guys, it's crazy. They're on a break. They're sweaty. They're drinking, they're drinking their water. They're getting ready to plow the field again. He's just kind of in his coat and looking all cool. And he says, I had this crazy dream where there was like these 11 stalks of wheat. And there was this, the sun and the moon. And they were all bowing down to me. I mean, that's crazy. What do you think that means? And they're rolling their eyes. And Reuben, the oldest, is holding back Simeon. I'm going I'm to beat his face. The fourth, the fourth son, the, the, the fourth oldest, Judah, uh, where Jesus comes from the lion, the line of the tribe of Judah. Judah, you know, he says, guys, 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 guys. He kind of mediates the situation. And in Genesis 37, 22, he says, let's not kill him. <laughs> you know, let's not kill him. What wise words. You know, <laughs> let's not kill him. But he goes, on, <laughs> he goes on to say, let's just throw him into this well so he'll die without our touching him. You think he's trying to help him, but no, no, we don't want to have our hands dirty. And how are we going to explain this to our daddy Jacob? So there was just intense family dysfunction. And overnight, he goes from beloved son to slave. Because they throw him in the well and they make an excuse up to the dad by taking the coat of many colors, dipping it in lamb's blood. And Jacob almost has a heart attack and dies right there because... His son must have been eaten by some savage animal. But the Ishmaelites come by in a caravan. They sell him into slavery. And Joseph finds himself in the nation of Egypt. And he's bought into slavery, into the house of of Potiphar. Then we get to the second circumstance that Joseph knows, that you and I know in 2018. And that's he endured a difficult workplace. Not only is he a slave, but, but Potiphar puts him in charge, and Joseph just like got the Midas touch, turns into gold, everything. Chevy's broken down in the garage. He fixes it. It's running like a clock. The 
landscaping had weeds. He gets it all together. It's look, best, land, best of the landscaping. Look, he starts cleaning the pool. Pool looks good, looks refreshing. It's not as green as it used to be. You can see your, your, your reflection in it. And poolside, Mrs. Potiphar, Hotifer, with her Gucci sunglasses, kind of pulls him down and says, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I want to have me some Joseph. And she begins to chase, chase down, chase down Joseph like he's a gazelle and she is a cougar on the hunt. In fact, after a while, his master's wife began to desire Joseph and asked him to go to bed with her. You read it in the Hebrew, it's not PG-13. He refuses. But she asked day after day. See, you think the hashtag Me Too movement was starting in Hollywood. It started in Egypt. Joseph's on Facebook. Hashtag Me Too. <laughs> and she chases him down day after day. And finally, in a fit of passion, he's got the, he's got the envelopes in his hand from the mail. And he walks in. And Hotifer had given everybody the day off. And he walks in. And it's just him. And it's just her and she's had enough, and she says she basically tackles him to the bed and says, "Come to bed with me." He refuses. He runs out. She rips his his cloak off. He loses his coat, but he keeps his character. And then he tells her, she tells her husband that Hebrew slave tried to rape me. So he's falsely accused, and he's thrown into the Pharaoh's prison. And there we see the next element. He's forgotten by his friends. Because while he's in prison, there are two people that were on staff with the Pharaoh that were thrown into prison. It must have been a bad dinner. Because it's the wine taster and it's the chief baker. And Pharaoh must have said, I want medium rare. And they brought it in medium well. And the wine must have not been the way it's supposed to taste. Because both of them found themselves in prison And here Joseph is, and those guys are trying to make their way back into the good graces of the Pharaoh. And while they're there, they have dreams, and Joseph has this gift from God to interpret these dreams. And and they're so thankful to Joseph at the time, and they're released from prison. And here's what Joseph asks them. He says, hey, see you later, guys. Please be kind enough, though, to mention me to the king and help me get out of this prison. But the wine steward never gave Joseph another thought he forgot all about him and so maybe you're here and it's been a difficult workplace environment maybe it's a family dysfunction maybe you feel forgotten by friends maybe you feel overlooked ambitious people will use you jealous people will hurt you sinful people will tempt you and how do we respond in the middle of these tough circumstances that are out of our control. Here's the difference maker in Joseph's life, and it's the difference maker in your life and mine. We, we, we can bite our bottom lip and try the best to, we can do, but throughout this whole story, we read a very, a very important, very important statement throughout the scripture. And the statement is this The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, Falsely accused, a slave, 
imprisoned, gave him success in whatever he did. We always think that success looks like the way we want it to look like. But the Lord was with Joseph in the good and the bad and the ugly from the pit in the prison, in Potiphar's house, in the palace, you name it, the Lord was with Joseph. But here's what we try and do in our own strength. We try to be with the Lord. We, we try and bite our bottom lip and do what we can do to be close to the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, just to be honest with you, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty where I try and work it out myself. What can I do to, to bite my bottom lip? What can I do to make it work? What can I do? But there's a huge important lesson here. It's not about what you just being with God. We forget that God is with us. And all the you being with God could never take the place of the creator of the universe being with you. Even when you're in that dysfunction. Even when you're in that horrible workplace. Even when you feel forgotten. He's with you. Edmund Clowney, an author, says it like this. It's not my grip on God that gives me hope. It's his grip on me. And, 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 you know, through all the wonderful things we do, from starting point to encounter to grow track to all of our smaller groups that are designed for your relational connectivity and spiritual growth, to all of our services that we have here, 52 Sundays a year, we want to get a grip on God. We want to get a grip on that scripture. We want to grip on that. But, friends, your hope is God's grip on you. Because your grip is never quite strong enough to be enough. Did you hear me? Your grip is never quite enough to be enough. We have to truly lean into the grip of God in our lives. Joseph's formula for success in spite of circumstances is pretty simple. And if we can follow in Joseph's footsteps, I wouldn't want anybody to be, be into a tough position like Joseph. But whatever it is, I just guarantee you, life's not going to always turn out the way you planned. There's going to be circumstances that are out of your control. But how you respond, we can learn that formula from Joseph today. It's real, super, super simple this morning. But I believe sometimes it's the simple things that we just kind of overlook. We want something deeper. We want, you know, we want to understand the, the Greek and the Hebrew. We, we want to we be able to dis dissect this and learn the simple stuff, everybody. We, gotta, we just got to boil it down and follow in the footsteps of these, of these real-life characters through the word. So how do we follow? The, the first step that Joseph took, his first part of the formula for success in spite of his circumstances was, was this focus. He had a focus to fulfill his responsibilities. And you and I have a focus to fulfill my responsibilities, to be faithful when the heat is on, when the going gets tough, when your family turns against you, when you're falsely accused of doing something you never did, when, when, when things, when you're up against the wall and everything is trouble, can you stay faithful in fulfilling the responsibilities you've been given? You can see this through Joseph no matter where he was. Look at this. Potiphar gave Joseph Complete responsibility over everything he owned. He had no worry in the world with Joseph being there. He was faithful even when he was a slave. Then Joseph goes beyond a slave and he actually becomes an inmate. But look at this. The warden or the jailer handed over the entire prison administration to Joseph. 
and had no more worries after that, for Joseph took care of everything. He was faithful even when he was imprisoned. Let me ask you something, everybody. Can you be faithful even when you don't like your job? Can you, can, can you do your job and do it to the best of your ability even when that boss does get on your nerves? Even when someone else does get preferential treatment? Even when you feel like you've been overlooked for that next promotion? Can you be faithful in your responsibilities? The truth, the truth is this. Christians ought to be the most faithful employees an employer has. Now, some of you, you're employers, and you know, you know how great it is when people just fulfill their responsibilities. And when, when he was in charge, the, the jailer had no worries. Man, I was in India. Montezuma's revenge was all over me. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought I was going to die on the floor of the bathroom in the Holiday Inn in Bombay. But you know what? I, wasn't, I was just worried about living the next day. I wasn't worried about this, the church. You know why? Because I've got a great team. You are so blessed with a wonderful staff at Timber Creek Church. So, so blessed. And, and, and I know that when I'm out, when I have to leave, when I have to go do things, like I, I trust our team to get it done. I know Pastor Talia, I've heard so much. I'm starting to get a little bit of a facial tick about how good Pastor Talia did last week. Okay, thanks. What am I? Okay, chopped liver. No, I was watching online. I saw your welcome to me. I was watching, baby. I was watching. Even though I wasn't concerned, I still wanted to make sure everything went well. You know? No, I just outed myself there. No, I needed that message, Pastor Talia. I needed that message of the process. You know, can people trust you? Even though it feels like you're in the wrong place and you're overlooked, be faithful in your responsibilities. Pharaoh said, who could do a better job than Joseph? For he's a man who is obviously filled with the spirit of God. Can I tell you something? The quality of your work, whether it's what you intended to do with your life or it's like plan R, the quality of your work shows people a spiritual side of your life. Your quality of work and how you do your best. I'm not asking you to be the best, but you do the best you can do. When we do shoddy work, it hurts the testimony of Jesus in your workplace. When Christians can't clock in on time, it hurts the testimony of Jesus. When Christians are the quickest ones to make excuses and not fulfill their responsibilities and whine and complain and gossip at the water cooler, it damages the testimony of Jesus in that place. Come on, be the, be, be the best you you can be. Fulfill those responsibilities. Be faithful in the little things. Joseph had big dreams. And then they're like derailed. And yet he was faithful. Pharaoh said, who could do a better job? You can see the quality of Joseph's work. Jesus himself in Luke 16 says, the person who is faithful in the little things will be faithful in big things. And the one who cheats in the little things will cheat in the big things too. Pastor Jeremy, when I make it big, 
I'm going to be faithful to be at church. When I get everything under control with all the other stuff going on in my life, I'm going to make it to church on Sundays. Pastor Jeremy, when I get out of debt, I'm going to start giving, I'm going to start putting God first in my, in my finances. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Because if you can't be faithful in the little things, why do you think you can be faithful in the big things? In fact, people, when putting the kingdom of God first in our finances, I hear that a lot. Well, I'm in debt and I can't do this and I, I, I've got to give to these other things. And I just want to say, look, put God first in everything. Leave the consequences to him. Put God first in everything. Because if you can't trust him when things are tight, are you really going to trust him and be faithful to him when, when you have margin? It's the big things and the little things. That's just finances. The little things, being faithful in your character and the little things at work, you got to be faithful in the big things at work. Faithful in the little attitudes and emotions, the little foxes that, 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 that eat up the stuff. Be, be, faithful in the big things in your emotions and attitudes. He not only fulfilled his responsibilities, but he in, maintained his integrity. He maintained integrity in the midst of high-pressure temptation. High-pressure situations. I mean, thrown in a well, seduced by Hotifer, uh, in prison, can you know what? Live in such a way where people have to make up stuff about you. You know, live in such a way where the only way they can find something wrong is if they make it up. And Joseph, he lived in such a way, uh, Hotifer had to make stuff up about him. You can see, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He maintained the integrity Man, this guy, the Bible says, Bible says right there in Genesis that he was well-built and handsome. My life verse. It's my, it's, my, it's my life verse. It's an aspirant verse. I'm, I'm pressing toward the goal. He was well-built and handsome. I mean, 18, 19, 20 years old. It's not like this guy was like, I don't know, I don't care, whatever. I mean, like the dude was, the dude was like attractive. And Hotifer probably wasn't nothing to shake a stick. She, she was probably a trophy wife, looking good for the chief bodyguard of Pharaoh. She, he refused to give in to temptation. Look, I'm attracted to the opposite sex. But my integrity isn't burned because I'm a, I have attraction. My, my integrity is burned when... When the attraction takes control, I'm a guy. I like, I see a girl, I can tell if she's pretty, in my opinion. And I have to maintain integrity in the big things and in the little things. When people are watching and when nobody's watching. I can talk about integrity all day long from the pulpit. But I have to maintain integrity behind the scenes. And so do you. Like I've said before, walking through the 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 grocery store through the frozen foods you know and you see that girl in front of you that's got those yoga pants on I noticed it but you got to look and turn you and when I say look and turn I don't mean look 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 turn and then look 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 and when I say look and turn I don't mean turn to the next aisle and look 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 
maintain your integrity. Maintain, maintain the integrity. Here's what Joseph says in the middle of that temptation. He says, my master trusts me with everything in this entire house. How can I do such a wicked thing as this? It would be a great sin against him. Wait, wait, no, it doesn't say him, does it? See, the scripture starts with him saying, my master, I, I can't let Potiphar down. But he actually turns it and he says, it's a great sin against not my master, but God. See, notice that integrity is not just between you and God. Integrity has to do with your love for God and your loyalty to others. There's loyalty to one another. You cannot maintain integrity by knowing the Bible and praying every day and being this Christian that's above reproach and treat people like junk. You can't, you, it doesn't work. Okay. How a staff member treats a server at Chili's is just as important as their ability to communicate. And, and, and if, if I ever took a candidate out for lunch or for breakfast or for dinner before hiring them and they treat someone rude, it's a no-go. It's a no-go. That's integrity, loyal to others, a love for God. And we can see that in the life of Joseph. Proverbs 14 says, wicked people bring about their own downfall by their evil. But good people are what? Protected by their integrity. It's a, it's, it's a covering. It's an umbrella. It's a fortress. And I know some of you, the walls have crumbled in that fortress. Some of you, there's been a, there's been a, a brokenness of integrity. Some of you, like me, have made mistakes that have damaged your integrity. And what I want to say to you is it's not too late. Integrity is not sexy. Integrity is hard. Integrity isn't like, uh, Joseph still spent a lot of his life in prison. Joseph got thrown into prison for his integrity. So don't, don't think that integrity is like your golden ticket to good things happening here. But your integrity is huge in, in being whole as a person. And can I just say something to you that if you're here and you've got wounded integrity, damaged integrity, integrity that's in question from a friend to a boss to a spouse, back up. Don't make excuses. Invite Jesus to rebuild the walls of integrity in your life. He will do it. You're never too far gone. You've never made such a big mistake. You've never done it so far down the road that it's just I might as well give up, throw in the towel. Many marriages end not because of an infidelity. Marriages don't end not because of like falling out of love. It's that when the integrity is broken, the time that it takes to restore it and work on it and build it back up, that's a heavy investment. Do it. Do it. Put the investment in. Put the time in. God will honor you submitting to his process in your life of rebuilding your integrity. Still with me? Finally, we see that not only did he 
be faithful in his responsibilities and maintained his integrity when the heat was on. But, but Joseph trusted God's sovereignty. As I've mentioned, early on he's got this big dreams, big dreams of authority, big dreams of power, big dreams of responsibility. And then he's thrown in a well and 30 years passes. Like almost like a lifetime. Where is God in all this dreams? And some of you, 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 you've had dreams about your life and about family and about kids and about the future and, what, and the marriage and retirement. And like you've gone into plan D and you're saying, it wasn't supposed to be like this. And I want to invite you to follow the formula of Joseph. Trust him. Trust God's sovereignty. You know, the word sovereignty, we talk about sovereign nations, absolute authority. Not halfway authority on the things that you agree with. And then the things you don't agree with God, well, that's kind of up for debate in my life. Trust his sovereignty in your decisions. Trust his sovereignty in your actions. Trust his sovereignty when you feel like you're in a dead-end job or the marriage isn't as hot as it used to be. Trust his sovereignty. Put him first no matter what. God doesn't explain it to Joseph. He doesn't roll it out. He doesn't give him another dream and say, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Joseph just has to trust him in the process. And what happens is Joseph is this interpreter of dreams, and Pharaoh has a big dream, and they, they call on Joseph out of the prison, and he tells the Pharaoh this dream. And basically it meant there's going to be seven years of high on the hog, huge. I mean, the stock market's going to hit an all-time high. Everybody's going to have low interest rates. It's going to be amazing. Everybody's going to be, you know, we're going to lift the, the, the lower class, strengthen the middle class. Everybody's going to help rich, whatever. We're going to be, it's going to be awesome. Everybody's going to have jobs. It's going to be huge. But then seven years later, the next seven years, it's going to be crazy around here. And we are going to starve. So Joseph says, we have to plan for this hard part. We have to plan for the seven years of famine. The seven years of good stuff sometimes make it, makes it feel like there's never going to be a problem. In those moments, you have to be wise and store up. So Pharaoh follows his advice, and Egypt stores up. And once the famine hits, they have all the finances they need. They have all the grain they need. In fact, they have so much in supply, the other tribes and nations have to start going to Egypt because they're out of food. They're out of, they don't have anything. And sure enough, so does the Jacob Ranch. They don't have the crops they need. They, they, don't, they don't have the cows they need. And so those 11 boys, they travel to Egypt to request a loan from Egypt. And when they approach the Pharaoh, sure enough, it's Joseph. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. Notice his humility. Notice that he couldn't maintain integrity and bitterness at the same time. You, you cannot maintain integrity in your life and hold a grudge. He, he, was, he wept. There was so much emotion. There was so much. He started to see that God was unfolding the dream. God was beginning to show him what 30 years ago was just a, a dream that he got thrown in a well by sharing with it too early. Joseph tells his brothers, God sent me ahead of you. Wow, Joseph could find God in that. God sent me ahead of you to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
They were the ones that wanted to take his life. And yet God in his sovereignty sent Joseph ahead to spare their lives. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Can I say something to you this morning, friends? Pain often has a hidden purpose. Pain happens because we live in a fallen world that is seeking out, that has an earthly dilemma that begs for a heavenly solution. Pain happens on good people and bad people. Pain takes place in pagans and in spirit-filled Christ followers. We just deal with a painful reality of life. But there can be purpose hidden in that pain. And here Joseph is in the middle. He could have been bitter. He could have been frustrated. He could say, ha ha, remember that dream, fellas? Come here, Judah. I got, I got like a surprise for you. Got this new dungeon that I'm working on. It's called the Pit of Despair. It's incredible. But instead, Joseph embraces them because he fulfilled his responsibilities, maintained his integrity, trusted God's sovereignty. And you know, maybe you're in the middle of a tough situation. I think there are three very simple questions to ask when you're dealing with uncontrollable circumstances. They're not in your notes, but I'd encourage you to maybe jot these down. From marriage to finances to work to relationships to family dysfunction to future hopes and dreams. When you're facing a tough circumstance, you may want to ask the question, is any part of this my fault? Now, granted, there are some things you face that are not your fault, and you think it's your fault, and it's not. And you're dealing with guilt and shame that you ought not to be. You need to let that go. It's not your fault. But there are some things that we put ourselves in a position, and we're dealing with the the collateral damage. Owning up to the part that's my fault is huge in dealing with tough circumstances. You know, another thing, what am I going to learn from this? Joseph was learning as he went. Do you know that the learning is optional on tough circumstances? You can go through tough circumstance and not learn a single thing. A lot of people do it. But if you will learn from the toughness, if you'll learn from the hard, the hard moments, you're going to gain wisdom from that. You know, the other question you say, how does God want me to act? So this is a tough circumstance. Do I just blow up? This is a tough circumstance. Do I just give up? This is a tough cir- circumstance. Do I just, just you know, fold in, isolate, go insecure, go, go solo? How does God want me to act? When a tough circumstance, he wants you to fulfill your responsibilities, maintain integrity, and trust his sovereignty. And here's what you need to know. He will be with you as he was with Joseph. He'll be with you. Joseph says to his brothers, you know, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Look at this line, the saving of many lives. No doubt someone has hurt you, a spouse, a child, a coworker, friend, a situation. But God can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. You're on plan R, but God can make plan R, plan A, like that. You can trust him. 
and his sovereignty. You know, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Why does this sound familiar? Because there's an upper story going on in the lower story of Joseph. The lower story is Joseph goes through hell on earth, but there's deliverance at the end of it. There's redemption at the end of it. The upper story is God is showing us that he was willing to send his one and only son to be falsely accused, to be wrongfully imprisoned, to be chosen to be crucified when the person next to him was a known criminal. God sends Jesus. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. And Jesus, the saving of many lives, if it weren't for Jesus to go through the tough times, Jesus go through the sacrifice. Jesus go through what what it feels like to be in uncontrollable circumstances. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet in the middle of that, he shows what Joseph did forgive them they don't know what they're doing through being beaten and being imprisoned he stands quiet and he trusts the sovereignty take this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done and the way God was with Joseph the father was with Jesus and he'll be with you too pray with me this morning to close your eyes and bow your heads if you're here today and you've been trying to live on your sovereignty your final authority trying to develop your own integrity based on your own opinions I invite you to allow Jesus to be the center and savior and sovereign Lord of your life and you say Jeremy that's me I I I've been doing it on my own. I've I've been dealing with some uncontrollable circumstances and some of it's my fault, some of it's not, uh, but I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus. Pastor, would you remember me in a prayer today? Would you help me make things right with God today? You bet, you bet. If you're here today and you'd like me to include you in a prayer, you you can pray too that, that says, Jesus be the Lord of my life for the first time or the first time in a long time. If that's you with boldness now, With boldness, would you put a hand straight up in the air? I need Jesus to be the Savior and center of my life. Hands all over the room. God saw your hand and your intention in your heart long before I could ever see your hand. You can put your hands down. And in your own words, you simply invite Jesus to be your Savior. Father, I surrender to you. The sovereignty of my heart, the authority of my life, I give it to you. I believe you are who you say you are, God, that you sent your one and only son to die on the cross, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. I believe that. And I ask you, Jesus, to take my sin away, the stuff that separates me from you. Be the final authority of my life because I I cannot be. I will not be who I'm supposed to be. I'll not go where I'm supposed to go if I'm the final authority in my life. I relinquish control to you. You are sovereign, and I'll trust your sovereignty. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me today to make things right with you. 
with heads still bowed, you're here and you got a tough circumstance. God's placed some dreams in your life and you feel like it's been derailed. Or maybe there's just been some integrity that's broken and maybe you just, you realize in a little bit of conviction that you're not being faithful to your responsibilities. Maybe you just need to trust the sovereignty of God. If that's you, I want to pray with you. Would you put a hand up in the air? I just, I've got some issues today that I need to trust in what I can't control. Trust him. Yeah, yeah. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us by ourselves, but you are just as, with, just as much with them as you were with Joseph. You'll be just as much with them as they rely on you, put their trust in you, not lean on their own understanding. May we submit to you in all of our ways because we know you have a way of turning our crazy journey into the right journey. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said amen.